Good morning. It's so good to be with you. Worship is, is not a spectator sport, but it takes the participation of each and every member. And you have participated in worship God with such reverence uh, and awe this morning. And I've been encouraged by that. And I appreciate it so much. I feel like we ought to just keep singing. Uh, the singing was beautiful. Thank you so much uh, for that. Once again, I'm so thankful to be here and to be a part of this uh, special weekend. It's good to be with you once again, uh, to meet you once again, and to see you, and to just encourage one another. It's good to uh, be able to spend some time with Bob, and also it's good to see my good friend Alan. Alan is a great encouragement to me uh, in my work, and I just appreciate him so much. And appreciate all of you being here, and appreciate the effort that you've put in this weekend for the young people. You know, it's that time of year where the young people are going to uh, be going back to school, whether you're going to to public school, private school, or home school. It's something that I know families are are gearing up for and getting ready for. And I want to talk to the young people uh, this morning about that. You know, some of my greatest joys that I've had in my preaching is the opportunity to go back uh, home to to a few of the places where I've preached uh, in Kentucky or southern Indiana and, and see... Some of the young people that I had the opportunity to teach in Bible class and in junior high and in high school. And and, uh, they were great kids, just wonderful kids and always wanted to learn more about God, had a desire to please God. But what I love more than anything is the opportunity to go back and to see these young people. And they've gone off to college or maybe they've started a career or perhaps they've started a family. And to see them still worshiping and serving God is such an encouragement to me. But on the other hand, I've had the, uh, had the time where I've gone back home and I've looked over the audience and there's some people missing. There's some young people that at one time had great promise and great advantages and they were serving the Lord, but yet they graduated and went off to school and they didn't return. They fell away from the Lord. And I can't think of anything that brings much more sadness than that. And I believe we need a frank discussion this morning to to raise the bar that we need to challenge our young people in the Lord, not to get serious about their faith later on, but to allow them the opportunity to be an example today, to not settle for mediocrity, but to be all that they can be in the Lord now. And I want us to think about a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4 at verse 12 that will serve as a simple outline for us this morning. And it's where the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. These words were written by the Apostle Paul to young Timothy. And, And when you think about Timothy, Timothy was raised, what we might say, as an imperfect home. His mother was a Jew, his father was a Gentile, his His mother and grandmother converted to Christianity, but his father evidently did not. And so Timothy had the opportunity to learn about Christ from his mother and his grandmother. But the Apostle Paul seemed to take Timothy and adopt him as as a spiritual son to encourage Timothy to resist the temptation to wait to serve the Lord. But Paul tells Timothy here, let no one look down on your youth. Let no one despise your youth. Paul says, you set an example. 
In other words, you be the type of person today that someone can look to and say, that's what it looks like to follow Christ. That's what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. Paul says you be a model of Christianity. You can live so distinctly for Christ that even older people are inspired by your example. And it's interesting to me that when you look at this text in chapter 4, verse 12, that Timothy faced the same type of temptations that young people and old people face today. So let's think about these this morning, then I'll close with a few points to wrap it up. First of all, Paul tells Timothy to be an example in speech. And one of those is really profanity. As you grow into adulthood, you can be increasingly tempted to use profane language. And the reason why that is, is because it's all around us. I mean, young people hear it on the ball field and the music that is played across, uh, across devices, the movies that are on the movie screen. And then young people will realize when they go off to school or they start a career that that foul language is all around them. But one of the temptations that young people have today is using the Lord's name in vain. Using the Lord's name in such an irreverent, flippant way. And I want to encourage young people here today to not take the name of the Lord in vain. Don't use the name of God without respecting and revering that name. The name of God is used to mock or to exclaim something and say where someone will even use the flippant expression to take the name of God in vain or to type it out in a text message just with the letters OMG. That's taking God's name in vain. That's using it in an irreverent way. And I want to encourage the young people to rise above that To be an example in speech. Uphold the name of God as holy. Don't use it lightly. But use it in a way that honors and glorifies God. Paul would say in Colossians 3 at verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Ephesians 4 at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk Come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You know, teenagers might be constantly tempted to use corrupting talk or profane language, maybe because they want to impress their friends. They want to sound like everybody else and might use such words in certain times just to fit in. You know, familiarity doesn't breed contempt. Really, familiarity brings temptation. And I want to tell young people, that's why it's unwise to surround yourself with people who use that type of language or even fill your mind with entertainment that uses that type of language as well. I I was amazed a while back. I got on iTunes and I was just curious. I have no idea what popular music is, is today. And so I got on iTunes and looked at the, the top billboard charts. And I was curious, just what are, what are young people listening to? And on iTunes, you can very easily click on, on the lyrics of the song. And I clicked on some of the lyrics of those songs. And I have to tell you, I, I was amazed. I was shocked. I was appalled at the wickedness 
at the evil, foul, filthy language that culture is throwing at our young people. It was sickening. It was so dark, there's no way that I could even use an example on it during this sermon. But you get the idea of just how filthy the world's language can be. You know, maybe you've heard, physically you are what you eat, right? Spiritually, it's the same way. You will become the type of person of what you allow to enter into your mind. The words that you listen to, the music that you listen to will impact you. It will impact your speech. It will impact your actions. And I want to tell you, when you use these types of words that the world is using, you will negate your Christian example and the world will lose its respect for you. Because as Paul says in these verses that we've looked at, that's not how a Christian should talk. And so you should resist the urge to use them. No one is going to be anxious to listen about the precious name of Jesus Christ When out of that same mouth is spreading lies, filth, or gossip. But from pure speech, someone might notice the words that you use, the uplifting, edifying words that you use, and perhaps they'll honor God because of it. Be an example in speech. But then next, be an example in conduct. And this has to do with the idea of consistency. Consistency on what you profess and proclaim to believe in how you behave. You know, there is a huge temptation for young people to be hypocrites. There is a huge temptation for young people to live one way at home or to be one way at the church building, but then to be a completely different person when they go off to school or they're around their friends. Listen, I want to encourage you. If you proclaim to live for God on Sunday, live for Him on Tuesday. Behave the way that you profess to believe. It's tempting because you can be popular at school. You can be accepted at church. And you can be pleasing to your family. But you're being a different type of person everywhere you go. The temptation is to put on this mask and to be this different type of person. But I want to encourage you to be consistent in your life. And remember, although you may be acting a certain way at church and then a certain way at school, there is always someone who is watching. No creature is hidden from the sight of God, as Hebrews 4 verse 13 tells us. In fact, Paul would say this later on in the same chapter of our theme verse. He says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. He says, be an example. Practice these things of what I'm telling you so that others can see Christ living in you. Now you think about in the Bible, there is one man who stands above, who rises above everyone else as the preeminent example of integrity in life. And that's Jesus Christ, right? It's our Lord. It's our Savior. He was the only blameless person to ever walk this earth. All other men have their weak points, their weak spots, their weak moments, all sin, but not Jesus. You know, no one could pin an accusation on Jesus and make it stick. Not even his enemies could do that. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 22, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 16, it tells us about how his opponents 
looked at Jesus and they kind of sized up their opponent in the last few days of, of his life. And this statement comes from the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22 that I want you to see. It says in verse 15, the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And so they sent some as they're laying this trap for him. They send these well-trained individuals to trick him, to catch him up with his words. Notice their opening remarks. Verse 16, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinions for you are not swayed by appearances. (laughs) First of all, think about that. that That's a compliment. Because what it is, is it's an, an honest evaluation of Jesus' life. I mean, you think about this. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they didn't like each other, but both of them hated Jesus. And they say, we know that you are a truthful man. That you, Jesus has a reputation of good conduct. That he has a commitment to truth in his words. They say, you teach the way of God. And then in relationships, Jesus is about pleasing the Father, not just trying to please everybody around Him. They say, he's, they say you are not swayed by opinions. And you don't pay attention to them. There is this consistency in the lifestyle of Jesus. And I think this is important because you think about what they were trying to do with Jesus. If there were any skeletons in Jesus' closet, this was the time to bring them out, to make them public. But there were no skeletons. Jesus was exactly who he professed to be. His life matched his lips. His deeds matched his words. His character was backed up by his claims. And that is what integrity is all about. Be an example in conduct. Let your light shine, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Let your light shine so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Be an example in conduct. Next, be an example in love. You know, the temptation in this selfie world that we live in today is to be so self-absorbed with my image and what I'm portraying and be absorbed with my feelings. But I want you to notice what Jesus says. We're in Matthew 22. Just drop down to verse 36. Matthew 22 in verse 36. The question is asked by a lawyer. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him in verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul and with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. And then verse 39 says, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Think about what Jesus says here. The greatest commandment is to love God. But if you love God, you're going to love others. Those two are connected. And you think about in the life of Jesus, Jesus often loved, he always loved the unlovable. Jesus loved children and welcomed them into their lap, even when the disciples of Jesus were annoyed by that. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus would speak to a sinful woman. Even though the Pharisees were appalled that Jesus let this woman even get close to him, Jesus was there to forgive this woman of her sins. I mean, the the greatest charge that the enemies of Jesus had against him was that this man eats with tax collectors and sinners. 
Jesus spoke to a demon-possessed man. Jesus spoke in John chapter 4 to a Samaritan woman. You know, in that society, they were insensitive. They had no compassion for anyone that they didn't like, for anyone that didn't look like them. But Jesus would tell the parable in Luke chapter 10 about that priest in Levite who walked by on the other side when that man was left for dead. But the Samaritan came along and he showed love and compassion and he helped that wounded man. And Jesus would use that as an example to say, this is how you treat people. This is how you love people. You see, the temptation is just to be around people that enhance your image. To be around people that just make you feel better about yourself or to increase your feelings of importance. And oftentimes, that's being accepted by the popular or the people that you want to be accepted by. But what about those that are different? And I think this is something young people need to consider. To to, to pay attention to those that aren't exactly like you that come from different backgrounds, that come from different places, that don't have the advantages that you have in life, like Christian parents who love you and want what's best for you. Show love to those that by the world seem to be unlovable. You see, it's easy to love those that love us. Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 at at verse 46... Matthew chapter 5 at verse 46, Jesus says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? He says, Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? I mean, it's easy to love somebody who loves you back, who does something for you, but what about the individual? What about the person who doesn't have anything to offer you? What about that individual? What about that young person? I want to challenge you today to resist the temptation to insensitivity. Pay attention to that boy or to that girl who is left out, who's not accepted, who looks different. Be an example of love and sacrifice for those individuals. Be an example in love. But the next, be an example in faith. Be an example in faith. The temptation that young people have today is to doubt. To doubt their faith, to have spiritual uncertainty. And as you go to school and you grow up, you're going to meet people who think differently than you, who believe differently than you do. And they're going to challenge your belief system. They're going to say things like, who says one way or one religion is better than another? Who says that? Or how can we say there is just only one God? Well, can't we all believe in different gods? Or can't we all have different belief systems? I mean, we live in a whatever generation, right? It's whatever. Whatever I feel, whatever I believe, whatever, whatever I accept, whatever my truth is, well, that's fine. That's the generation that we live in. Well, listen, young people, please see through those remarks. That is, that's terrible logic, it's like if there were a cure for cancer, but you want to believe that there are other cures that are okay? That, well, that's okay. That's fine. Whatever. We recognize that it doesn't work that way in life. And the new tolerance in our society that we can see is why question things. Just believe whatever it is that you want to believe. But we need to be an example in faith. 
We need to be solid in our faith and solid in our standard of truth. And we need to speak up boldly when we find ourselves in a situation where Christianity is being mocked and ridiculed. We need to be able to stand up and say, this is not just a moral system among other moral systems trying to make people good. Christianity is the worship of a person, Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus who would say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christianity is an exclusive faith. And I want you to remember something. I know there are times when we may wrestle with doubt. And doubts can be an opportunity to to strengthen our, our faith. That's an opportunity to strengthen our faith. But I want to tell you, if you're having a time of doubt... Anyone who teaches you that one religion is as good as another did not die for your sins. They did not come back from the grave. It is only Jesus Christ who did that. And Paul would say in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It is so important, young people, for you to develop your own faith. To be an example in faith. Uh, a show that I've seen on TV on CN, uh, CNBC uh, is called The Prophet. And it's about this individual who goes around and he, he, he buys businesses that are, that are struggling. And, and there was a particular episode where I think he was in Miami, Florida. And he bought a, a furniture business that was owned by, I think it was the third generation in this family that owned this furniture business. And this business at one time when it was started was booming. It was very successful. But now that it's fallen to the grandson, this business was in shambles. He was about to declare bankruptcy and close the doors. But this man came in, he invested some money, he turned things around, and he built it back up. But one of the things that it said in that episode was that second generation family businesses have a 60% fail rate. And third-generation family businesses have a 90% fail rate. And I applied that and thought about, what's that look like in the life of a Christian? What's that look like in the life of a Christian family, in a Christian home? What's the fail rate in a second- and third-generation Christian's? Are our young people leaving home and having a strong enough faith to deal with the naysayers? To deal with those that would mock and ridicule their faith? Paul would say in 1 Timothy 1 at verse 19, to hold the faith. And young people, you hold your faith. Stand firm in your faith. Be that example that you believe in Christ. But the next, be an example in purity. Be an example in purity. And I have to tell you, this is, where, this is where the devil is just attacking and attacking and attacking young people. The devil is attacking with images and visual stimulations to attack purity of young people and old people alike. I think parents, if you have a daughter or, or if you have a son, maybe who is pushing the limits on what modesty is, it would be helpful to teach them about God's will for modesty, to talk to them about their purity. It's up to us as parents to be that alert, to be that monitor. 
And I know that young people look at it and say, well, that's just old school restrictions and everybody here is dressing this certain way or, you know, this is the way everybody's living and everybody's doing this or everybody's involved in, in premarital sex and those types of things. Listen, that, just because the world thinks that, don't give in to that temptation. I want to challenge you to be distinctive, to keep and remain pure. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. You run away from it. Have nothing to do with it. And in fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, young people, it's an easy verse to remember. 2 Timothy 2.22. 2 Timothy 2.22 is, is such an important verse when we think about fleeing and remaining pure. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, in verse 22, flee youthful passions. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who, are, who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We've mentioned this already. But there's lots of Christian young people who are fighting this good fight against Satan. You be in the camp that remains pure. You be in the camp that honors marriage. That you honor your body as it belongs to the Lord. And you be mature and you follow God's way and you follow God's will when it comes to marriage. And when it comes to the relationships that we have. We be mature on that. Overcome those temptations. Be an example in purity. Listen, the reality is, as we've talked about yesterday and today, that we are in a spiritual battle. And I'm telling you, brother, the the stakes are high. The stakes are high. The battle is for souls. I read about on D-Day, just before the invasion of Europe, General Dwight Eisenhower walked among the soldiers there who were crossing the English Channel, and, and he began shaking their hands. And Eisenhower was fighting back tears because he knew he was shaking hands of young people who would lose their lives in that war. And I think about how difficult it is to consider the fact that there are some young people who give up. They give in to temptation. They lose the spiritual battle. And I know what what, what you want here as a congregation at Oak Mountain is, is what we all want. We don't want our young people to be a statistic. We want every young person to remain faithful. We want all of our young people to be the type of person who survives the battle. We've already seen that Satan is aggressive. He's trying to destroy you. He's trying to rip your life apart. He wants you to spend eternity with him doomed in hell. The stakes are so high. Don't give in the temptation to say that I'll get serious about my faith later. Or don't fall into the temptation, young people, to say, well, listen, I need to learn things on my own. And I'm going to go out, I'm going to, I'm going to find out and find myself, and I'm going to go out and sow my wild oats. Well, if you think that's the way you're going to live, I want to tell you something. You know what Galatians chapter 6 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. If you sow seeds of wickedness and deceit and evil... You can't pray for a crop failure. You can't pray for a crop failure. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. You see, understand that the choices that you make today in junior high and high school 
And even in college years, those are choices that impact your entire life. Your values, your morals, your beliefs, they are being established right now. And the stakes are high. The stakes are high. Paul says you live for God right now. Don't let anybody look down on your youth because you're young. Right now, live for God. It's life or death. It's heaven or hell. And so right now, make up your mind. Remember what Elijah said on Mount Carmel? How long are you going to falter between two opinions? Choose today what you want. Do you really want the things of this world that are temporary? The things that will not last? Or do you want to choose the eternal? Well, you need to make up your mind in advance. If you wait until the heat of battle and the heat of temptation to decide who you're going to live for and what you're going to choose, you're going to lose that battle. You need to decide right now, how are you going to respond? I think about Daniel in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel was this well-built, nice-looking, extremely talented young man. He's living in the midst of a pagan culture in Babylon. Tremendous pressure was placed on Daniel to drink the king's wine and eat the food. And they were counter to his convictions, to his values. And you remember that Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. He was diligent to see to it that he would not compromise. And he made up his mind. It's, it's, it's important for you to make up your mind today. Second of all, replace the negative with the positive. Replace the negative with the positive. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, at verse 22, I don't want you to miss this, where it says, Flee youthful passions and pursue. You see, there is a sense in which as Christians, we flee. We run away from those things that are evil But on the other hand, we have to turn and run towards God. We have to pursue those things that are good. Pursue righteousness and peace and faith and love. We pursue those things. This is a powerful image. That we're not just running away, but we're running after. We're chasing after. This isn't a casual mall walk. We're running. We're giving it everything we have towards the Lord. We can't just say, well, as a Christian, I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't do that. Well, what do you do? What do you do? It's, it's about like a diet. I don't know if you've ever been on a diet. Um, man, I, I tried this keto thing a while back. I mean, I started thinking about all the things I couldn't have. I couldn't have donuts, my favorite thing. I couldn't have rolls. I, I mean, you can't have anything that's, that's good. And when you start focusing on all the things that you can't do, guess what all I could think about? It was a cinnamon sugar twist from Heavenly Donut. That's all I could think about. Because that's all I thought, what I couldn't have. What I couldn't have. When you think about our lives as Christians and followers of Christ, if we can shift our thinking from just focusing on I can't do this to here's what I can do and here's what I chase after, here's what I pursue. That's a powerful word. If I'm pursuing something, there's something that's at stake that I'm running hard. I'm going after it and I'm pursuing it with godly friends. And being encouraged. But then finally, finally, because the stakes are high, remember who you are. Remember who you are. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, let me show you this passage as we close. In 1 Timothy chapter 6. In this chapter, as Paul wraps up this letter, remember he talks about false teachers. He talks about true contentment and 
he says, you know, in verse 8, If we have food and clothing with these, we shall be content. He says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and to a snare and to many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, and then in verse 11, though, he says this. Watch, it, this, watch, he says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Oh, the world may be chasing after money. The world is chasing after power and influence. But you, you are different. You've chosen a different way. But you, oh man of God, he is reminding Timothy that you are different. You've been called to live differently. You belong to God. Remember who you are. Because our behavior will flow from our identity. When I understand that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, it will help me live as I have been called to live. It will help me when I focus on that, that my identity is rooted in Christ. And you think about it. Think about how big of a difference that that makes. Are Are you a Christian? Well, if you're a Christian, how do you identify yourself? Well, I'm a school teacher, I'm a nurse, or I'm a doctor. Was a Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to be a school teacher. I'm a Christian who happens to be a nurse. First and foremost, I belong to Christ. My values are different. But as for you, O man of God, but as for you, O daughter of God, you be different. Paul is reminding Timothy who he belongs to. Paul is reminding Timothy that you're not just some evolutionary accident. You didn't evolve from some pond scum. That you're more than just an animal to satisfy every instinct and desire that you have. He says, but as for you, O man of God, in other words, you have been made higher than the animals. You've been created in the image of God to be His child. And so be an example in faith, in speech, in conduct, in love, in purity, and in faith. This morning, if you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to obey the gospel so that you can become a child of God, so that you can find your identity rooted in Christ. Perhaps you're here this morning and maybe you're a young person or uh, you're an old person, but maybe you've been rebelling against God. Perhaps when you look at this list and you think about the example and the influence that you're having around those around you, you've fallen short and you've rebelled against God. It is our prayer this morning that you will turn, that you will repent, that you will come back to God and allow His Word to touch your heart in a way that you respond in faith to the words of Jesus Christ, understanding that you have a Heavenly Father who is waiting on the front porch with open arms to welcome you back into the family. If we can help you in any way, come on up while we stand and sing.